Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Tower cleared. Welcome to Space 3D. This is Eleanor Rangers, one of your co-hosts. This is part two of our discussion with Susan Ipjul about what the future may hold for healthcare in space. In this podcast, we'll discuss radiation protection, work Susan has been involved in with demonstrating future surgical techniques which may be incorporated into upcoming space exploration missions, and finally, her thoughts on whether physicians, surgeons, or non-healthcare providers are a prerequisite for rendering medical care during exploration missions. Let's pick up the discussion now with co-host Emily Carney. I've worked in the nuclear field in the Navy, so I, I'm not a, I don't know if I'm an expert. I studied the effects of ionizing radiation. I'm really interested in kind of hearing your take on how hazards, you know, on, on other worlds such as Mars or even, you know, in other parts of deep space uh, as far as ionizing or uh, solar radiation. It's a major challenge. Um, it's part of how, you know, we have to find ways, countermeasures for that. I know that right now there was um, a, a group that uh, from, I think, coming out of MIT has, has developed and testing a, a radiation vest, mitigation vest that astronauts can wear, right? And so that's interesting. So, you know, another area of trying to decrease the amount of exposure to space radiation for a deep space mission or or surface settlement is using different architecture structure. So where you think water actually is a very good mitigator of reducing radiation. So always thinking about how can we uh, use water. So, you know, remember, I don't know if you remember, there was a competition that NASA started a couple of years ago called, uh, you know, the 3D Habitat Challenge. And uh, the winner actually was a group that designed a ice habitat on, on the surface of Mars. So um, that was an interesting possible solution, right? Um, but I'm also thinking about, you know, let's let's think out of the box because this is what this whole sort of discussion is about. Thinking out of the box to find uh, solutions, right, to these challenges. So thinking about, you know, architecture or about clothing, when you talk about technology, you also can look at biomimetics, right? You can look at synthetic biology and digital biology using, for example, genetic tools that are currently commercially available, like CRISPR-Cas9, which is literally genetic scissors to snip out DNA that are harmful to the body or or snip and include those DNA that maybe is deficient in in that uh, chromosome or that genetic material for that individual. So you can see, you can imagine the future, right, where you can literally use these genetic tools as well as robots like nanobots. You know, these are the size of like Pico, Pico bots that can actually move through the cellular membrane and through the nuclear membrane into the um, the nucleoplasm, right, and, and literally be able to target chromosome and onto the genetic level and snip out you know, any defects, whether it's caused by solar radiation or any other things, you can imagine what these technology can, can do. And it might sound science fiction at this point, but it's really not. It's really where it's going in terms of using our creativity 
and using our imagination and with the current exponential development in these technologies, right? It, it will be there to enable us to be able to address these issues, especially with radiation. And that's the reason why I think, and it's back to the, the initial problem of why is it that after the first humans settled, I mean, stepped on the moon, which is nearly 50 years ago, right, um, that we still haven't ventured out beyond low Earth orbit. It's because it's always back to, one, you know, um, safety and health of the humans in space, right? We don't want to jeopardize the health and safety of the crew. We have to find ways to mitigate and to reduce the risk of death and to injuries. And this is where we're very much passionate about the communities that we're involved with in space medicine and health and wellness is to be able to address these issues. So yes, at this point in time, we're still looking at developing and, 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 and uh, developing those kind of um, countermeasures, as they would say, right? To be able to reduce these risks. Awesome, well, thank you for, thank you for that. Turning to a back, back again to surgery, because it's just fascinating thinking about these possibilities. How would you say the evolution and then progression of surgical techniques is, is probably going to, to go? I mean, for an initial, let's say low earth orbit, what may become feasible and then proceeding to interplanetary settlement. I can't imagine obviously being a full blown ICU at the get go, but I wanted to get a sense from from your perspective what you think the types of surgeries could be that could be done initially and then pro- progressing from yes, there. Yes, no, that's a very good question, and um, it's it's a it's a very interesting field, but it's also a very important area to address if we really are going to succeed in becoming an interplanetary species. When you look, and that's where we're passionate about, I'm passionate about, and what the groups that I work with uh, are passionate about, is to use innovation, exponential technologies, like, um, you know, robotic, virtual reality and augmented reality. That's, you know, the whole idea of the Star Trek holodeck, you know, next generation, the holodeck, is really a kind of... um, it's equated to what we now can say mixed reality when you have both going into a fully virtual world and then you're able to manipulate, um, you know, using augmented reality tools, technology, that platform to be able to train individuals, right? But when you think more into the future within the next 10, 20 years where this technology is going, you can imagine this is where we're, we're look, you know, thinking out of the box, but it's not too out of the box that it's not realistic. But to think, right, you have a spacecraft that literally is like Star Trek Next Generation. You can go into the holodeck area and and train your your crew and to not only just train them into new procedures, the AI that's also incorporated into these simulations will use machine learning to keep learning and learning. And therefore, you really literally have your full OR or your, you know, your full set of, uh, you know, healthcare providers in all disciplines all together in this virtual. So they'd be, virtu- be basically a virtual, you know, multidisciplinary medical team that would be there. And they'll come in because they're programmed already into the, the, into the um, network, right? And so you don't really need, when you think about it, when we go to deep, long-duration deep space missions and also maybe on a planetary surface when we literally form, you know, we have the clin- space clinic. That's kind of where uh, I, I really can imagine that happening. Having really tested this out 
in reality here with the clinic that I did 20 years ago, right, which was an integrated wellness clinic using, you know, telemedicine, using Second Life, bringing in the, you know, trying to bring in the medical community to engage as avatars. Well, that was 20 years ago. You can imagine where it is now. But then you think 20 years into the future from today mm-hmm. where that those capabilities built into the spacecraft built into the co- the settlement colony. I mean, you don't need to have the in-person, you know, crew team. Of course, you would like to have the medical team there, but if they get injured or something happened, they're down, then, you know, where do you default to to get medical advice, to get, you know, to actually to execute the procedures? Well, now you've got you've got the ability of the you know, um, virtual surgeons or the virtual medical team that's already programmed in and be able to allow you to help the crew, you know, to to perform these uh, complex surgeries and also to keep retraining them. And so this is where we're actually focused on. Mm -hmm. We're very early stage of doing what we're doing uh, under the Mars Academy, uh, you know, USA, uh, under our Mars Medic, uh, series training series with with the with the medical teams professionals who are interested in this area and then expanding and then taking out to the high fidelity is to one day be able to provide this technology and these uh, SOPs or you know standard operation procedures to be able to uh, to really improve state of the art not only to allow us to do deep space missions but to improve state of the art for healthcare on on earth as well so it's quite exciting and i think it's an important uh, aspect that we really are not really focused on when we always talk about space exploration right um, most people and especially the general public when you talk about space exploration that you know they just focus on and and I, I give him a lot of credit, of course, you know, SpaceX, you know, and the, the rocketry, all the, you know, engineering, and that's great. And, and that's wonderful. But you've also got to say, well, hey, what's the point of doing all this if you don't have humans in the loop? And and so we're interested as a human species because we're our curiosity is part of who we are. It's an, an eight part of the drive of why we want to go out into space. And so, yes, we can deploy robots out there and we can get them to do all this, but that that's not what we're about. We also want to have humans to be part of this adventure, as they say, quote, unquote, adventure. And so and when you have humans in the loop, you've got to be able to make sure that you've got con- contingency plans in there uh, to enable them to, to you know, survive and, and thrive. Right. And so... The other aspect yep. is robotics, right? So in, when you think about it now, you've got Da Vinci, you've got the robots uh, in this already in the surgical room, right, in the operating theater um, that are helping surgeons to do very complicated procedures. You've already got Robo Robonaut on the ISS, you know, although it's very early stage. <laughs> but you know where that's going, right? That's helping to at least provide some kind of, you know, very basic surgical procedures, you know, to train the crew uh, on the ISS, 
uh, and give some kind of support, although they do have mission control there, the whole medical team that supports the ISS crew, because they're only in microgravity, and so you have full communication. But once you go deep space, you don't. You need to be totally autonomous, because there's that huge delay, right? The further you are, the further the delay. Basically, you're on your own, so you got to be totally independent and autonomous. And this is where the technology will come in to help support that, and that is the AI um, and the VR, AR, you know, and robotics too, right? So. <laughs> right. Well, let, let me ask you a related question then. So a combination of medical cap medical personnel plus um, AI, virtual reality, uh, it, you know, almost like the emergency medical hologram on Star Trek Voyager yes. to assist, assist you. Do you think, and we've heard in other interviews that we've done over the season that there's general, I think, agreement that some sort of physician should be part of the crew. But then the question turns to, should that medically trained person, person be a, phys, be a medical doctor or a surgeon? I wanted to get your thoughts on whether you think some, some with surgical expertise would be preferable, uh, to have on a, uh, <clears throat> space settlement or long-term expedition as opposed to just the traditional non-surgical medical doc. No, well, so I guess I kind of an partially answered that with my previous yeah. previous answer, right, to the to the previous question, is the fact that by the time you get to have the first, you know, space settlers uh, on Moon or Mars, you're going to have the technology so advanced that you're able to have the virtual medical team. So in terms of, of course, it's always good to have a human qualified, you know, uh, medical professional as part of the crew. But my goal is what we do while we're developing the telesurgery and teleanesthesia simulation training is to say, can we, and that's the question, can we train non-medical teams or non-medically trained individuals, I mean, basically coming in, you know, with no medical background at all or any kind of skills and, and train them and then re keep reach. And what is the time uh, uh, difference between having to to retrain them again to, to maintain their skill set at a certain level where, you know, you can be at a high confidence, confidence, you know, level to say, yes, they can actually perform that. So this is kind of what, what we're doing, which is no one's doing this. And when you talk about mm -hmm. apparently all the, all the training or, or, or anything to do with space surgery or, or space medicine, that it's really for the, you know, medical community. So students or the professionals and no one's really addressing non-medical uh, crews and teams. So um, this is where we're focusing on, like um, trying to ask, answer that question. And, and you know, to date looks very promising. And uh, But we're not just using the traditional way of training. We're also integrating, you know, interactivity and using the whole you know, the, the whole gamut of what is out there in terms of the technologies, right, the platforms. So that is where I see that, you know, to answer your question, you know, I see the future where you don't need to be so restricted or limited to a certain individual with a certain set of specialty knowledge. Because, like I say right from the start of our interview, is you want to be able to have a crew that is very transdisciplinary. And even if they join, maybe there's an area they might be deficient in, but they'll be able to acquire that knowledge during the mission because of all the supporting system and network that's implemented into, into the whole mission. 
so that you can learn mm, yeah, and as you, as you move along, yeah, as you're part of the, as the mission, you know, moves along. So that at the end of the day, you actually, you know, will acquire more skills and, and new, new knowledge. And, and this is, and it's very organic. It has to be, cannot be static. And, and so with the AI, you incorporate it in, you know, and uh, that ability will allow individuals to keep learning. So it's an ongoing learning curve and, and, and you keep accumulating knowledge and skills. And you're going to need that. And that, that is the way it, it has to be. And it's not just for space exploration. I always going to emphasize it's also the way that we're going to change the paradigm of education and learning here on earth. It needs to be addressed. And, and I always going to use, you know, like uh, Peter Diamandis, who, Dr. D, Peter Diamandis, who is a, one of the serial entrepreneurs and, and a leader in terms of exponential technology. Uh, he coined the word, um, MTP, which is an acronym that stands for Massive Transformative Purpose. So if you have an MTP in your vision, you know, it's got to be able to disrupt or uh, build or, or what we call, you know, deconstruct the current paradigm that's not working. And then you able to, you're able to then apply these new technologies to be able to reconstruct or just construct a whole new paradigm that's more fitting for this current time and the future. So in terms of an MTP for the, for the archaic 19th century learning system paradigm, you know, that is really old fashioned, doesn't work, it's breaking down. And so that's why this whole idea of, you know, using edutainment and transdisciplinary teams of, you know, learning together is the way the next generation is doing, is adopting. It's not even just a concept where the paradigm's changing now. When you see a lot of these new groups, sta uh, startups, when you look at even the universities, you know, um, I guess more of the innovative universities uh, are trying to, you know, uh, implement that into, into their student body, you know, student curriculum. Yeah. That's the future, really.